So we are on lesson number 13. That's God delivers his people. We'll be finishing up Esther and the uh, scriptures covered our Esther 8 through 10. So Lord, we thank you for this uh, little book of Esther. We thank you that uh, it demonstrates to us that you work in your people uh, even if they're not following you, you do you do things to protect them and and encourage them. And uh, we thank you that we are yours also, and that you do things like that for us. But we want to be actively following you, so that our prayers will be answered, and so that we can recognize your blessings when they come. In Jesus' name, Amen. So our first section, section A, is Esther pleads for the Jews. That is chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And I'll read that one. People are getting situated here. Esther 8, verses 1 through 8. So just to catch up. Oh, I'm in the wrong book. I'm in Ezra. It starts with an E also. Just to catch up at the end of last week, remember there was a second banquet and uh, Haman was pointed out as the bad guy uh, because he never told the king who he was going after. <laughs> and uh, it was all turned around on its head and Haman ended up being executed on his own gallows that he made. So that's where we left it. Also, Haman's house was given to Esther. So I guess Zeresh was thrown out in the street. We're not told what happened to Zeresh, Haman's wife. But that's where we pick up. So it was a victory for Esther and Mordecai. But the edict was still out there, which called for the Jews' annihilation. So chapter 8, verse 1. On that day... King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had to close, disclose what he was to her. Oh, I want to correct something I said last week. I was listening to it, and I said, you know, that's not right. I said that God can do whatever he wants, because he's sovereign. There's one thing he can't do, which is go against who he is, Right? The other thing is he cannot save people without their consent. You know, Scripture says God desires that um, all be saved and come to repentance. That is what he desires. That is not what happens. So God does not always get what he wants. What the Lord does all your life is he will persuade, he will woo, he will conjole, he may bring on difficulties for you, he will do all sorts of things. But he will not make up your mind. He refuses to do that. Why? Because he made you in his image. If he 
if he chose for you, he's taking that away. He will not do that. So I wanted to say that because I thought, you know, I, I can't say that he gets everything he wants because, you know, in Ezekiel, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The wicked are those who don't trust him. So they're going away from him forever. He takes no pleasure in that. So that is one thing that Lord does not get that he would like. Okay, anyway, back to what I was doing here. I'll just start over. So 8 verse 1. On that day King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman the enemy of the Jews to Queen Esther, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had disclosed what he was to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had given, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept, and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite and his plot which he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king. Then she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadath of the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people, and how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows, because he had stretched out his hands against the Jews. Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. Bless you. For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. So verse 1, on that day, what day? The same day as in chapter 7. Haman was executed on his own device for execution. And Haman's house was given to Esther. And Esther introduces her cousin, Mordecai, to her husband, the king. And then Esther sets Mordecai to run Haman's house. So take, because she's in the palace, right? She's in the harem of the king. So the king gives it to Esther. Esther gives it to Mordecai. Then verse 2 the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken away from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. So Haman was executed. Mordecai was given power. The power like Joseph had in Egypt, second highest in the kingdom after the king. So that's quite a change in status for Mordecai. And then it says... Then Esther spoke again to the king. And uh, we see from what happened later that she must have gone away and then came back to the king. And so again, she broke this, this law about not going to the king without being summoned. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept, and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite and his plot, which he had devised against the Jews. And then it says the king extended the golden scepter to Esther. So that's that's how the king would signify that I'm not going to kill you 
it's okay, you know, because the law was if you came without being called, then, you know, off with your head. But the king was feeling very, very warm and fuzzy toward his wife at this time. So, and he, you know, and he, I, I don't know if he's feeling foolish now that he'd gone along with all this with Haman, but so anyway, he was very positively disposed toward Esther. Then Esther, when she speaks to the king, she prefaces it with very flowery introduction. Four provisos at first. She says, then she said, if it pleases the king. There's the first one. And if I have found favor before him. There's the second one. And the matter seems proper to the king. There's the third one. And I am pleasing in his sight. Okay, so she is really pouring it on to the king. Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Amadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. So she's asking him to reverse this. Of course, the laws of the Medes and Persians cannot be reversed. They're not repealable which is weird, isn't it? <laughs> um, I've never heard of any other country that did that, where you make a law and you can't repeal it. But they did. And she goes on to say in verse 6, For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? See, because she was already saved now. She was saved. Mordecai was saved. Because Haman personally, who wanted to get them, was gone. Then the you know the king would protect them, but all the other Jews were still at risk. So that would be a tragedy if she and Mordecai alone were spared from this. Then the king reviews what he's already done. Verse seven, he says, King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows because he had stretched out his hands against the Jews. See, I've, I've, I've already done this. And then, he, because he understands the difficulty of this situation, he turns it over to Mordecai and Esther to deal with, which goes along with his character that we've seen in the past. He just kind of went along. You know, the advisors kind of guided him. So he said, Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. So he now... Mordecai has the signet ring, which Haman had, so he has the power Haman had. With the king's signet ring for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. So that's where we are. Any questions about that? Yeah, we're not really told what, why Haman was promoted. You would think be, because of some, you know, sort of efficiency or success or something good he did we don't we're not told why you know Mordecai has now a record of being shown to being loyal to the king because he pointed out this assassination attempt five years earlier that he just was awarded for um, and he's been faithful in where he's working remember after he was you know paraded around on the horse when he got done, he said, okay, he went back to work <laughs> at, his, at his post. So, you know, he's he's a reliable 
um, person. Okay, so section B then, Mordecai issues a self-defense edict. And that's 9 through 17. Somebody want to read verses 9 through 17? Thank you. Yeah, verse 9, the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the 23rd day. So this is two months and ten days after Haman's decree. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, satraps, governors, princes of the provinces, which extend from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script, and to every people according to their language, as well as to the Jews according to their script and their language. So that was Hebrew. They made a copy in Hebrew. Yeah, so Haman's decree was issued on the 13th of Nisan, which is April 17th. 474 B.C. Mordecai's counter-decree was on the 23rd of Sivan, which in our calendar would be June 25th, 474 B.C., two months and ten days later. So that gives the Jews almost nine months to prepare. Okay? And that is how the Lord made the lots turn out when Haman was superstitiously throwing the lots, or the pur, that's what they call it in Persian, to find when to kill all the Jews, it was at the end of the year when it came. So that was the Lord working there. So then verse 10, he rode in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horses riding on steeds sired by the royal stud. Now that's a difference from Haman's decree. Haman's decree went out all over the place too. But this decree went out by couriers on horses riding on steeds sired by the royal stud. So this was, uh, theoretically, these are faster horses. These were bred for the king. Race horses. These were race horses that were sent out. So um, they were up upgrades. And then verse 11, In them the king granted the Jews who are in each and every city the right to assemble and to defend their lives. That That is the difference. You know, before, there, the edict was anybody who wanted to could kill the Jews, including their women and children, and take their property. And what was written here was just that the Jews had the right to defend themselves from that and that those who attacked them were now fair game for the same thing to be done. They, the men could be killed, their families could be killed, including women and children, and they could take their property. So it was turned around exactly on their head. That goes along with the Mosaic Law. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, burn for burn whatever, you know, equal retribution. Um, so that was what was allowed. Yeah, well, they, they were the world power. And they had, you know, I'm sure they had people from every country, scribes, that could do that. You know, that was before Google Translate, yeah. <laughs> which is very handy. Google Translate is very happy, handy. So, and this was written 
to happen on the same day as Haman's edict. So we have two opposing edicts now, one for the anti-Semites and one for the Semites, or the Jews. So what it, how it will turn out will depend on who is more fierce, I guess, right? Because both are given free game to go after the other. And this was so that the Jews would be ready for this day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Then verse uh, 15 and 16, Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white. Those are the colors of Persia. With a large crown of, large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. How does that compare with when Haman was elevated? Was there any rejoicing when Haman was elevated to second in command? It's not recorded that there was any rejoicing. And we noted in last week's lesson that one of the eunuchs in the palace was quick to point out Haman's gallows, which he made. Uh, when he was condemned himself. So Haman was not uh, liked in the palace. But when Mordecai comes out and he is elevated, the city rejoiced. So why was that, do you think? Yeah, Proverbs 29, 2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Yeah, so they were happy that there was a righteous man had come to power. So verse 17, then, in each and every province and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And then look at this. Among the peoples of the land, many among the peoples of the land became Jews, so they became proselytes under the Mosaic law, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. You know, I mean, that is that is very much like salvation, isn't it? What, there's a couple of things that drive you to salvation. Um, one is God's goodness. One is God's, you know, wonderfulness. But I think a very significant one is the fear of hell. You know, why do they call it salvation? What are you being saved from? You're being saved from hell. You're being saved from the lake of fire. Yeah, and that is a very, you know, potent reason to be saved. <laughs> That's That makes the good news really good, yes. That you're forgiven for your sins, which for which the penalty is hell. Um, and so here... You know, these people saw what was what had happened, how this had turned about, and they're like, wow, maybe these Jews have it right. Maybe their God is God, you know? And uh, so they're turning to the Lord. And that, that is what we need. We need to be disciples so that we have a platform upon which that people can recognize that our God is God, and they will turn to him. Because he is, you know. And if we follow the Lord closely, 
um, they can see his power working through us. That's what they're, That's what's going on here. Okay, so that's all for section B. Any other, anything else about that one? This is going to be a quick lesson today. So section C, the Jews defend themselves. That's chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. I'll read that section. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day, when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary, so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. Even all the princes of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business, assisted the Jews, because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. At the citadel in Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and Parshandatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Paratha, Adalia, Eridatha, Parmashta, Erisai, Eridai, and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemy, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. So the tables are turned. Okay. You know, before you're going into this, you're thinking, okay, the Jews still might be wiped out. There's more Gentiles than Jews. If there's more anti-Semites than Jews, perhaps the Jews will be wiped out. Could happen. But this is where the Lord takes over. And it was turned to the contrary. Well, how did that happen? You know, And I'm sure it was all sorts of little coincidences every which way that the Lord worked out that this was turned to the contrary. And so, the Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. That implies intelligence, doesn't it? That Im implies something like the CIA or something like, you know, they knew, they knew who was out to get them. They ferreted them out. They looked out for them, and they went after them. They didn't wait to be attacked. And it says, no one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on the people. So, And then the other thing, which is fascinating, was even all the princes of the provinces. Remember in the, uh, in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, when they went back to rebuild the temple and the wall and things. The uh, Persian satraps, of which I forget the guy's name, the one for Samaria, Sanballat, yeah, he was one. They were not for the Jews. They were against the Jews. Well, here, and remember, this took, all took place between the end of Ezra chapter 6 and the beginning of Ezra chapter 7. So during this time, 
All the princes of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews. They were for the Jews. Why? Because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Because their boss was Mordecai, who was second in command in Persia. And the dread of him made them help the Jews. Yeah, no, there was, yeah, there was dread of Mordecai. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's uh, just providential. And, you know, Mordecai is not depicted in this book as a godly man. He's depicted as as a, a hard worker. He's depicted as loyal. But he's not depicted as godly. So um, he's a patriot is what he is. He's a patriot for the Jews. And uh, but the Lord, because of his promise to the Jews, supported him. So in verse three, it says, yeah, the dread of Mordecai. And then verse four, indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house. His fame spread throughout all the provinces for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Who does that remind you of? Yeah, Mordecai and Joseph are very similar. Um, Joseph was elevated and people were made to bow for him immediately when he was elevated. Um, it reminds me of King David. So this is in 2 Samuel 5. Yeah, starting in verse 9. This is after David had conquered Jerusalem. So David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the millow and inward... David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Yeah, you know, the same could be said about Mordecai. Mordecai became greater and greater for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Even though he did not honor the Lord God of hosts like King David did. King David honored him and he worshipped him. But God was protecting his vehicle for the delivery of the Messiah here, which was threatened. And that was the nation of Israel. So Mordecai became greater and greater because God was with him. And um, so the Persian officials would not help the anti-Semites. They helped the Jews instead. Then it says, At the citadel in Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. So in the capital, 500 were killed, as well as the 10 sons of Haman. And notice in verse 10, they in their edict, they could do just as had been, you know, instructed for the anti-Semites. They could kill the men, their families, and take their property. They did kill the men. We're not told that they killed the women. They may have in the out, outer cities. They may have. It doesn't say. But in the, in the uh, capital, they killed 500 men, and they did not lay their hands on the plunder. They didn't take any property. Why do you think that was? 
a little further down, we'll notice that the people in the surrounding cities also did not take property. They didn't take any property, even though they could. I don't know exactly, but I, I think it wasn't about property. They didn't, you know, when uh, these were these were not Jews that were walking in fellowship with God. So I can't, I don't think we can say that it was like Abraham. Remember when a Abraham rescued Lot and discovered the, and uh, he defeated five nations. I believe it was five nations and recovered all their, their goods and stuff like that. And the king of Sodom said, take what you want. And Ab Abraham said, I won't take anything from you. Because people will then say that, you know, I got it from an unbelieving king. My blessing will come from God alone. That's what Abraham did. And you can say, well, maybe the Jews did that, but that, you know, that's one possibility. Another possibility is that it was not about money for them, it was about survival for them. And they didn't want their money. They just wanted to live, you know. For the godly ones, maybe it was because they didn't want us, you know, it to be seen that they made money off of pagans. Their blessing came from God. You know, and by the way, when Abraham did that, he was blessed greatly by God. So that's the end of that section. We're moving at lightning speed. Okay, so D, section D, the Jews triumph over their foes. That's 11 through 17. Anybody want to give a shot at that? Okay, thank you. So yeah, verses 11 and 12. On that day, the number of those who were killed at the citadel. Citadel, by the way, is a fortress typically on high ground protecting or dominating a city. A city. So it's a fortress. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so the king said to Esther, Okay, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman at the citadel in Susa. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? You know. Now, what is your petition? So he asked her again. Okay, they did this. Now, and now why did he do that? You know, it doesn't say. But he says, it shall even be granted you, and what is your further request? It shall also be done. So she, it must have been something on her face. He, he's, he's reporting the results of this day. And she's, uh, so anyway, so he asked her, what, what else do you need, S sweetie? What else do you need, sweetie? Yeah. And uh, so Esther asks to repeat the process in the capital, just in the capital, the next day, and also that Haman's now dead sons would be put on spikes in the city and displayed. Okay, so th this is Esther's being pretty aggressive here. Then Esther said, If it pleases the king, let tomorrow also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. She wanted to make sure that this could not happen again, which is reasonable. 
So verse 15, the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 14th day of the month Adar and killed 300 more men in Susa. Again, they didn't lay their hands on the plunder, so a total of 800 men in the capital city were killed. Yeah, well, I'm sure they did. Yeah, they counted. They counted the, that happens in war. It's probably not very accurate. I mean, that, they're doing that over in Ukraine, counting the dead. There's a lot of dead Russians. Many, many. I think over 100,000. Uh, let's see, Vicki. We're in uh, chapter 9, verse 15. So, yeah, they they counted their, their the people they had killed. So then verse 16 tells what happened outside of the capital. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled to defend their lives and rid themselves of their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. So in the empire of Persia altogether, there were 75,800 killed in those two days. Anti-Semites. Okay. So that's a lot of people killed, isn't it? That was like a civil war. Yeah, it was a civil war, a two-day civil war. So, again, the plunder was never taken. And then Purim was celebrated on the 14th and on the 15th. Uh, they celebrated on the 14th in the areas outside of the capital. They celebrated on the 15th in the capital because in the capital they did it for two days. And so the day after that was the 15th. So they, they killed people on the 13th, the 14th. The day after that was the 15th, and that's when they celebrated. In the outsiding towns, it was just on the 13th, and then they celebrated on the 14th. And that is why we still have the holiday of Purim that the Jews celebrate every year for two days. Still, that was, what, 2,400-some years ago. And they're still celebrating that. And why are they still celebrating that? Yeah, because Mordecai made it a law, and Queen Esther made it a law for the Jews. So that that is the end of... Um, what the quarterly went over, but verse 9, chapter 18 through 10, 3. Yeah, we're early. I'll just read that part. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th and the 14th of the same month, and they rested on the 15th day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Therefore, the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns make the 14th day of the month Adar a holiday, for rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another. Then Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month, Adar, and the 15th day of the same month annually. Because on those days the Jews rid themselves of their enemies, and it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, 
had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is the lot, to disturb them and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who allied themselves with them, so that they would not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And these days of Purim were not to fall from among the Jews or their memory fade from their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. He sent letters to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, namely words of peace and truth, to establish these days of Purim at their appointed times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them, and just as they had established for themselves and for their descendants with instructions for their times of fasting and their lamentations. The command of Esther established these customs for Purim, and it was written in the book. Chapter 10. Now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the accomplishments of his authority and strength and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people, and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. Yeah, so Lord, we thank you for this book of Esther, which shows that you protect people who are yours, uh, specifically the Jews here, but we know you protect us too in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>